is when at just the right moment, when all is lost, the exact thing that we need to happen happens. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning. Happy December 11th. You guys look so festive in here today. Hey, we're here. It's good. Thank you for that. Um, I said, let there be light, right? Um, I love this time of year. It's like, Chris, we get to put lights with greenery around. I saw a guy with a Christmas tie on. There's Christmas, it's my dad. Okay, like Christmas ties. It's awesome. Um, I even see some of the dads in here, which I'm really impressed with their Christmas morning scowl on their face. Like it's really hard to get this early in the season. Um, I didn't know my dad was gonna be here when I said this, but uh, I never knew why my dad would get angry Christmas morning. Sorry, Dad. Until I became a parent, and I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense now. I mean, parents in here, you get what I'm talking about. I mean, all December long, you're begging your kids to give you gift ideas. Tell me what you want for Christmas. What do you want for Christmas? You're looking through magazines. You're circling ads. You're on websites. You're trying to figure out what's going, uh, going on. And then you'll even see TV commercials, and you're trying to remember exactly what the thing is. And you explain to your kids, like, it's not going to work like it's showing that it's going to work. But try explaining to a 10-year-old that a hovercraft won't go from sand to a pool back to concrete only to go to the mall on December 23rd or wherever you go and explain to a guy who you tell gifts to and you hear a present you've never heard in your entire life. Or better yet, maybe even one you have to feed or take to the vet or something like that that your kid brings up. And then December 24th, you get dressed up, come to church, you go home, make sure all is merry and bright. And if you're lucky, by midnight, everyone's tucked into bed, visions of sugar plums dancing in their head. And then parents, as all say, this is when the real work begins. Can I get an oh yeah? Mm-hmm. So yeah, 2 a.m., when you wake up with two double A's and a Phillips in one hand and get to bed just to have kids start screaming at 5.45, is anger the correct emotion? It's a real who's to say, but I think maybe we understand what's going on, but I love Christmas. I love Christmas, but it's pressure packed. And I swear to you, this is not a promotion for our five identical services on Christmas Eve at 2, 3.15, 4.36, and one on Christmas morning at 9.30, but it sometimes feels like the only peaceful time in all the season. There's something about this time that It's just pressure packed. It's a reminder of why a weary world rejoices is why we come together. Today I wanna explore this idea of the healing that Christmas provides. If movies reflect our culture and they tell us anything, it's this idea that anything can happen at Christmas. There's even a phrase for it. Why, it's a Christmas miracle. It's very good, I'm glad you guys had the same word. It's a Christmas miracle. It's December 25th, we wake up, we look outside, it's snowing. Why, it's a Christmas? It's a Christmas miracle. You get that G5000 robot with the oscillating machine gun, it's a Christmas? 
I've always wanted it. A Christmas miracle best described as this is when at just the right moment, when all is lost, the exact thing that we need to happen happens. At just the right moment, when you need it the most, the unexpected happens. You go to the mailbox and you open it up. Bank error in your favor. Collect $50. It's a Christmas miracle. I believe our fascination uh, with miracles comes from this, this deeper place inside of us of seeing wrongs that we see made right. You know, in the blink of an eye, we want that change. Uh, I don't need to spend very much time convincing you this morning that there's problems that need solutions, that there's evils that need goodness, and there's brokenness that needs healing. And I just think Christmas and the season in general act like a magnifying glass on all the issues that we see. A financial ruin of brokenness, of loved ones that we will miss. You know, the problem is brokenness all around us. We know that. And by the way, that's not just this room. Everyone knows that. And everyone has a solution that they're trying to tell you fixes this problem of brokenness. Magazines will tell you if you just need to be in a little better shape and look better. Movies will try to convince you that you need to live a more exciting life. The radio will tell you that if your party was in charge, everything would be better. You drive along the interstate, and you see a billboard for the Powerball, and you think that would fix it. And if none of that works, your stomach says, how about a little ice cream? That ought to do it. <laughs> like there's, there's all these voices trying to convince you this is the way to fix brokenness. This will solve the problem. Perhaps you understand and feel the pressure from all of this. We're in a series right now we're calling A Weary World Rejoices. And maybe you understand the weary part, but you haven't experienced the rejoicing part in some time. Uh, I'm not here to get all cheesy Christmas movie on you, but maybe a Christmas miracle of sorts is exactly what God intended to fix the brokenness in our world. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah today. If you have your Bibles and we get those out or on your phone, we'll have some of the scriptures on the screen. But we're going to have you do some of the homework. We're going to be in Isaiah 42. Uh, as we get to the book of Isaiah, there's kind of really two sections uh, that, that we see in the book. And, and we're in a part where we, we see Isaiah talking to these people who've been under different political rule, from the uh, Assyrians to the Babylonians. And there's these people who are captured uh, captured and they've been spread and there's threat of capture again and there are these people wondering God why aren't you able to help there are people also living in a place that's not their home with a God who's not their God and a people who are not their people and if we're honest for some of us in here today we understand that feeling of a home that isn't our home that you feel that living here that there's loss, brokenness, toil from work, of people that are not your people, that we live our life as kingdom people just a little bit different than we see those around us, and the God of today of success and money and uh, furtherment, it just seems like this fool's gold whenever we get a little bit of it. And that's the, that's, the, that's the dynamic that we're entered into even in this moment here. So the nation of Israel cries out, God, can you come and can you save us? And here's what God tells them. He 
tells them why. He just tells them why. You know, why is a funny little question. And if we have kids and you've been blessed to have kids in your house, you understand that, under, that question of why. Hey, really, we, we probably shouldn't jump on the bed. Why, right? Because it's an indoor trampoline. What are we doing here? And then five stitches later in an ER bill, we get to do our parents' version of I told you so. You just get to say one word. You just go, see? That's why right there. See that right there? We almost always understand why in hindsight. After we've seen Pac, we look back and go, oh, that's why our parents don't know what they're talking about at 17. And by the time you get to 30, you're like, this is my redemption part, Dad. By the time you get to 30, you go, okay, they know what they're talking about. God tells them why. When we see brokenness, we want it fixed. God, come fix this. When are you going to come fix this brokenness that we see? So in Isaiah 42, we're going to start in verse 14. For a long time, Isaiah 42, 14. For a long time, I've kept silent. I've been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out. I gasp and pant. I will lay waste to the mountains and the hills, and I will dry up their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up pools. Brokenness is healed through a God who is patient with us. Um, we often want justice when we see things going wrong. And this is the chosen nation of God. How would God let them be carried off into captivity, away from their home? And we love the last part of, their t- of the text where it says, I'm gonna lay waste to the mountains. We're like, oh yeah. But why would he let these things happen? I sometimes get a high sense of justice in myself when I see something that I don't think is right. Uh, maybe this little uh, like mental superiority. Uh, a little confession, before everything was online, I used to do a little thing they call Black Friday shopping. Anybody ever done that? And I remember being in there, and, and I just see these people pushing each other over a vacuum cleaner. And I think, man, what are you doing? I guess that's why they call it a dirt devil, but I'm like, over a vacuum cleaner? Until I realize myself, I'm there. I'm not watching this online. I'm there too, inching ever closer to a big screen TV. Like, We need God's patience. We want his justice. And we forget who we are in the scenario all the time. We want justice for somebody else. But for us, we need patience. We want patience. There's a term I butcher all the time, so I wrote it down. It's called the fundamental attribution error. And briefly explained, it's this. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but not others. And it happens often. We want justice but we personally need patience. And God's patient with the nation of Israel. This is a nation that over and over again continues to disobey God, his commands, his decrees. They fall away from God, far from the heart of God. And when they get in trouble, they call out to God for healing. And what does God do? Over and over, his patience with the people withstands. His long suffering with his people And what do we see God do? He's always working a plan for redemption of his people. You know, time's a funny thing. When we're in the midst of of struggle and heartache, time seems to slow down. We don't really know what's going on. Every, Every punch seems like it comes out of nowhere and every curve is unexpected. Um... We look at the nation of Israel and we get a little, a little haughty and we think, how could they not know this? God has been working in their story 
throughout time? Do they not remember when God led them out of captivity in, uh, when they were in uh, Egypt into the desert and gave them manna from heaven and water from a rock? Do they not remember that until we realize what's 800 pages in our Bible has been 500 years for them? I used to work with teenagers and when consoling a teenager about unmet potential, I very rarely go, you know, in, in 1522, Magellan lost two of his ships and he died, but his team kept going and they circumnavigated the globe. You can do it too. No. You just tell them like Michael Jordan got cut from the basketball team. You can do whatever you want. Like time, we, we have an unrealistic concept of time and we're secondary readers of God's word and we get to look at it so differently than they do. So God's patient when we need justice. Second Peter 3 says, I love this. He said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The brokenness we have is a God who's patient. When we need justice towards us, he gives us patience. Brokenness is also healed through a God who guides us. Uh, when we look at chapter 42, uh, maybe, your, maybe your Bible has a heading on it that says something like the servant's song. Um, this is this introduction we get to Jesus, but it's not the first reference to Jesus we have in the book of Isaiah. We have a reference of him in chapter nine. It says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. I love that. They should make a song or something. It's great. But 42 says this. Here is my servant, whom I hold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. The first is true. For unto us a child is born. He is wonderful counselor, almighty God. It's all true. But chapter 42 starts to introduce to us how he's going to do it. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords but he will be our servant. He chooses servant. The prince of peace will suffer at the hands of those around him. And this is how the servant will serve his people. Let's continue reading in verse five. This is what God, the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that spring from it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness I will take hold of your hand. Let me read that last line again. Verse six, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. If you remember, God calls Abraham from Ur and he says, I'm gonna send you to some place. Just go and trust me and follow me. And then we get to the, to the desert and he's leading the Israelites out. And he says, I'm gonna give you a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Follow them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go into the fiery furnace and they say, we have a God who will save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not gonna bow down. But here, God is saying, I am not leading you that way. I'm going to come down and grab you by the hand and guide you. 
Jesus will guide us by his hand. Verse 16 says, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn darkness into light before them. I will make rough places smooth. He calls, he calls the Israelites here blind. He says, I'm going to take you, you blind people, to a place that you've never been before, to an unknown place. Unknown places are scary. Uh, we don't, I think our generation has kind of lost that feeling. You know, we have a GPS in our pocket all the time. Has anybody explained to you uh, directions? And they'll be like, the road's going to T, okay? You'll see a yellow mailbox, turn right, go down to that. I'm not listening when you're telling me that. I'm just going to type it into my phone, right? Like, my phone died on a hospital call I was doing a few years ago, and I circled the same cornfield in Danville for like 30 minutes. Like, we... We're unfamiliar when we have these unknown places. And if God were to come here today, I believe, and show you all the way to where he's going to take you, it would be too scary for us to journey there. So what he says I'm going to do is I'm going to come and I'm going to take you by the hand and I'm going to guide you. He's going to guide us by doing two things. See what he said? He said, I'm going to make dark places light. I'm going to make dark places light. The areas that are dark in your life, I'm going to make them light. The psalmist says his word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. David reminds us that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And Jesus even says of himself, he says, I am the light of the world. If you walk with me, you will never walk in darkness. So how does God illuminate our path? He gives us himself. He himself is the light. The next thing he says, I'm gonna make rough places smooth. I will make rough places smooth. I remember learning as a kid uh, that if you took the whole globe and shrunk it down to the size of a pool ball, it would be smoother. Now, I grew up in Southern Illinois, and it wasn't the best education. I was thinking, ah, I don't think this sounds right. I don't know if you've heard of Mount Everest, but it's 29,000 feet tall. Mariana Trench, 36,000 feet deep. This is ludicrous until you realize let me get the number right. See, I'd feel bad if I lied to you on this until you realize it's 131 million feet for the circumference of the globe. Uh, my family got a chance to go to Colorado this year, uh, this past year. I think I even have a picture of us. Uh, there's a mountain in the background, but the photographer who took it uh, covered it up with us. So just trust me that there's a mountain back there. And so uh, I don't know if you can tell by looking at this picture, we're not exactly like the hiking type of family. Uh, but we get out there. My kids, had never seen, uh, my kids had never seen the Rocky Mountains before. And we get through this tunnel. It was snowing. And we go through and you just see their necks do this. Wow. It's huge. The next day we go to Rocky uh, Mountain National Park. And when we get there, it's at 8,000 feet. We're at the store ahead of time. We see this oxygen. We're like, hey, we probably should get this, right? Like, we're not going to make it. We get there. We look up what I assume is a two-week journey. We don't have enough rations. We're not going to make it. And then we just start going. We're thinking, like, this is impossible to climb. You ever been in front of a rough place? And you look at something ahead of you, and you're like, it's impossible to go. There's no way. I love that God sent Jesus to take us by the hand. And it says he makes those rough places smooth. This year at uh, Camp Allendale, do we have any kids in here go to Camp Allendale this year? Can you raise your hand? 
Brooke, higher please. Richie, I see that hand back there. Yeah, um, we, had a, uh, we had a missionary, his name is Richard and Tim, and uh, he's great. Some of you here know him. He understands kids well enough. He sings the same uh, two songs 400 times, and uh, so we'd sing them every day. And there's this one song that we did. Can you guys yell it out when I say it? Yeah, okay. Richie, you'll have to help. It says, um, who has the final say? Man, first service did it, come on. Yehovah has the final say. And then everyone just starts jumping in a circle. And it says, he turned my life around, he turned my life around, makes a way where there seemed no way. Yehovah has the final say. Makes a way where there doesn't seem to be any possible solution that we can go through there. And Jesus says, I'll take you by the hand and I will make rough places smooth. God guides us. Jesus takes the blind man by the hand and leads him to the pool for healing. Zacchaeus, who's only looking for a better view, Jesus says, come, I'm going to your house today. And when his disciples are simply saying, like, where do we know how you're gonna go? God, Jesus doesn't give the disciples directions. He gives them himself. John 14, six, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God brings illumination to the dark places and he brings rough places down and makes them smooth. Um, I grew up, like I said, in, a, in this small town in southern Illinois and um, we had a thing, it was my sixth grade year, uh, our youth minister decided it'd be a good idea to do a live nativity. You ever seen these things? We go to one in Danville every year, it's really fun. Um, our... We were, we were pumped. This was awesome. Sixth grade. So what we would do is after school, we'd go to the church and people were donating milk jugs. So what we would do is we would go there and we'd cut out the back of the milk jugs. Then at the day of, we'd fill them with sand and put a light in it. It's exactly as classy as it sounds. And uh, we were out there after school. Some people washed them out. Other people didn't. We were in sixth grade though. We didn't know what smell was that, what was us. And then the night of the event, we had a job which was to go around and make sure all the candles stayed lit. We were also volunteer fire department. Some of those would catch on fire and you'd have to do this. But this was the best job you could ask for. What keys are to freedom to a 16-year-old, a lighter is to a 13-year-old. So we're walking around and lighting these things on fire. But something happened my eighth grade year. I'm assuming we were low on volunteers. I go to look at the list to make sure my name is still on it for you know, a milk jug lighter guy. And it was under Angel. It's like, angel, okay? The job's pretty simple. You stand on this wooden box. You hold your arms out. You have a halo and a modified baptism robe. They shine a light on you, and you simply say as cars drive by, glory to God in the highest. I mentioned this is a small town, right? You know 75% of the people coming through. I'm in eighth grade. I'm a little embarrassed. This is a bit of an ego hit, right? So I'm up there standing, and I see a car coming, and they keep coming, and somebody lowers their window, and from the comfortable cab of their truck, they yell, Eric Carter, an angel, ha! <laughs> it was my neighbor from up the street. The car behind her, I'll never forget it, their mouth. Who would say such a thing? You know what? She's not wrong. I'm no angel. And even with the patience of God in my life, 
and even with him grabbing me by the hand and making dark places light and making rough places smooth, my heart still wanders. I love the old hymn that it just sums up for me, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. God offers his hand, but he doesn't grab ours. That's the warning in the next verse, verse 17. It says, but remember he calls them blind. He says, I'm gonna lead the blind in the ways that they will go. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in shame. If you wanna open your eyes and simply look at what you've always seen, trust in that, you'll get the exact same result you always have. This is a juxtaposition to the two verses before. Those who are blind, they'll be led by the hand of God. Are there gonna be challenges? Yes, but he's gonna illuminate his path with himself. Is it gonna be hard? Yes, but those mountains will be torn down by a God who makes a way where there seems no way. And just like a 10-year-old boy who gets a toy that's gonna change his life for Christmas, by January 16th, everything's back to normal. You know, there's a holiday. Has anybody heard of the holiday they call Blue Monday? It's January 16th this year. And it's called the saddest day of the year. It's when the holidays are over. Your credit card bills from Christmas come in. The days are short. The nights are long. Uh, This was uh, first published in 2005 in a magazine called Sky Travel. It's been proven pretty easily to be junk science now. But Sky Travel posted this in 2005. Why? To sell vacations. You're sad? Let's get out of here. There's always some voice telling us that we just need a little bit more of something else. More idols. More of the same. It's the exact same thing of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It looked good to eat. It was pleasing to the eye. If I'm honest with myself this morning, I see shiny things and I think they're gonna fix what only God can fix inside of me. Paul says this in Romans 7. This is confession. He says, although I wanna do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that's at work within me. What a wretched man am I. Who can rescue me from this body of death? Do we want to know who and what can heal this brokenness? God says it's a baby in a manger. The scandal of Christmas is the birth of Jesus sets into motion the cross. Verse 25 says, after, or verse 24, what a wretched man am I who can rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. God sent Jesus to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. The healing of Christmas is that God put on flesh and he lived the life perfect, showed us what it looks like to live kingdom life versus these voices all around us telling us what it looks like. It's as profound and as simple as just the gospel. God reveals this to Isaiah a few chapters later in Isaiah 53. He says this, who has believed our message? 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before us like a tender shoot, and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, and man who was suffering and familiar with pain, like one whom people hide their faces. He was despised. He was held in low esteem, but surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought him peace was on him. And it's by his wounds we are healed. The profundity of the manger is that God's willingness to send his son to become incarnate, to put on location, to live this life that we never could, to show us what kingdom living was. The first part of the story just falls without the cross. Yes, we have a God who's patient with us, who guides us, who illuminate our path, but our hearts still wander. The brokenness is, is healed through the miracle of Christmas. C.S. Lewis has a, has a name for uh, the incarnation. He calls, it the, he calls it the grand miracle. He says the Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. The Christian assertion being that what is beyond all space and time, which is uncreated, eternal, came into nature, into human nature, descended into its own universe and rose again, bringing nature up with it. When I was a kid, I'd ride around in the car with my uh, grandmother, and she'd always have the radio on. And every once in a while, uh, this guy would come on uh, called Paul Harvey, who was played. And uh, he told this story uh, around Christmas time. He said there was a man um, who was a very good man, Christian man, but he struggled with the idea of the incarnation. Why would God become man and live with us? It was Christmas Eve, and his family was going to go off to church to a Christmas Eve service. But being a man of principle, there's no way he was going to go himself, so he stayed at home. As his family left the driveway, it began to snow, and he heard a on his window. Thinking it was a snowball, he looks outside, and he sees birds just into the window. They're all huddled up together outside. He thinks, okay, I'll go open up the barn so they can have a safe place to be. So he goes outside, opens up the barn doors, but the birds still say huddle up in the snow. He goes out and grabs some bread, and he's making a... But they don't go anywhere. He decides he's going to show them what it looks like, so he's flapping his wings, walking towards the door. Nothing. They still stay outside. The birds would scatter, but they would never go in the barn. They didn't understand that he just wanted to help. He thought to himself, if I could only become a bird, if I could only speak their language, they would understand me. Then I could lead them from death to life. If only I could become one of them. At just that moment, he heard the church bells and the song, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful, was playing. It was just at that moment he knelt in the snow for Christ, who'd become one of us. The Son of God became man so that man may become sons of God. So yeah, a grand Christmas miracle is really what is needed. For those who are here this morning who follow Jesus and have for a while, 
maybe you have noticed that there's a lot of places that have felt dark that you need the illumination of Jesus. Maybe you need some of those rough places just smashed down for God to make a way where there seems no way. Maybe you just need God's hand to come and hold yours. For those of you who don't know who Jesus are, maybe like Kyle said earlier, have just come in here. Um, this is a, a gift that God offers to us. You know, the healing of Christmas comes in the fact that Jesus took our place. Brokenness is healed through a man in a manger who because he, because he came and he's always been faithful, his promises will always be true. He will fulfill the promise in Isaiah 53, the last verse summed it up. It says, He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. And that's as true today as it has ever been. If you would, when you have communion, if you would get that out with me. This is why we do this every week. It's a reminder that even our best efforts fall short. And then we need the saving grace of Jesus every day. So let's take the bread together. It's by his wounds that we are healed. We receive this from him today. Let's share the cup together. If I could right now, I would just like to say a prayer over us. God, we are thankful that all walking in here, we carry baggage of a life not lived the way we always want to live it. Of brokenness that just feels like we've looked for different answers. God, thank you that you provide healing through your son, Jesus. God, I pray this year that we, uh, that we trust you more fully. That we don't trust our eyes to show us where we're going, but we just grab your hand and you lead us in passive righteousness. God, you're good. Thank you for going all the way. Praise Jesus. Amen.